So last week, if you were here, worship with us. We had our annual Thanksgiving service, Your One Wild and Precious Life. It comes from a line from a Mary Oliver poem that I hope some of you had the opportunity to reflect on this past week and tell me what will you do with your one wild and precious life. And we've heard great answers from all across the age continuum, so many different decades of life responding meaningfully, so meaningfully to that question. Words are from Mary Oliver. And I'm going to share with you right now what may be, arguably, she's got a lot of beautiful, meaningful, rich words, but may arguably be her most famous, most meaningful words that she has written. They're sort of her instructions on how to exist in this world in the deepest way possible. That's how I read them. She said, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing that your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Read that with you again. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing that your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Now, the poet here is not just speaking about grief, about that final human act of letting go. Not just about grief, although I will be talking about that later. But this letting go that she's talking about is really an everyday kind of event. Think about just in the colloquial sense. We're on the phone. We're rushed. We're hurried. We've got to get out of there. We say, I've got to let you go. I've got to let you go. The truth is, in most circumstances, we will probably come back to each other. But not always. And certainly not always in the same form as we are when we say, I gotta let you go. If we can master this, this art of holding on and also letting go, if we can master this, that we can know a deeper, deeper wisdom and meaning in this life than we ever could if we can't. If we can't master this, then life becomes a pitched battle, a series of complaints upon our parts that somehow the things that we love and the people that we love are inevitably taken from us. It's a battle we will lose. We either learn to ride the waves of time and change, which are bigger than all of us, or we get bowled over by them. If we can ride these waves, then we can experience a real thanksgiving, a real gratitude in this life for the gifts that we hold, if only for a time. The people we love, if only for a time. The most painful parting, the most difficult letting go, we have to give them back to life, to God, to the universe. I love that the word thanksgiving, the verb, not the noun of the name of the day, but the verb, the act, Thanksgiving always implies release. Thanksgiving. Giving away. Rendering outside ourselves. Implicit in true thanksgiving is the title of this message series that I bring to a conclusion today. Rather than the grasping and the clutching and the holding, the becoming attached to and the fearful hanging on, beyond the grasping is the gratitude. At the deepest level... This is about some of the most painful lessons we learn, but also some of the most necessary in our spiritual awakenings in life. It is learning to love without ownership. It is learning to love without the claim of me and mine. It is learning to love in such a way that our love 
is a thanksgiving and is also a release. So I've identified here today, I want to share with you four different ways of thanksgiving, of releasing ourselves into a deeper love. The first is thanksgiving for relationships that have ended. Perhaps for many of us, not so well. The first model, let's say the first positive model, I had many unhealthy models of this in my own life, (laughs) from my own behaviors and my own experiences, but I think the first healthy model I heard of this was from a band called, uh, if you put that up there, Husker Du. Any of you remember Husker Du from the 80s? Woohoo! All right. Well, for those of us in the know, the cool people or person, single person over here, whoever it was, that makes two of us. And if you go looking it up, as I know some of you like to do when I bring up references, you might not get, unless you really like punk music, you're not going to like it. However, Husker Du, for me, and actually for some well-noted critics as well, really contained the Lennon and the McCartney of 80s music. Now, I'm not committing blasphemy here. Husker Du is not the Beatles, people. Calm down. But Bob Mould and Grant Hart, the two co-songwriters, the two men in Husker Du who shared the duties for writing, they were one of my favorite bands in favorite bands in the 80s. And they taught me first about how to have thanksgiving for relationships that were ending because their relationship ended and the band broke up. One of the reasons I think so many bands that in which you share the, the songwriting duties, such as Lennon McCartney, Strummer and Jones, and The Clash, you know, pick your example. One of the reasons that so many of these kinds of bands, as good as they are, break up is that it's so difficult for genius to cohabitate. Because <laughs> sometimes genius is larger, or rather can't be as large as the ego. It's one of the reasons why I think spiritual forms of genius, which always test and are always aware of how the ego is wanting to announce itself in sometimes really unsubtle and sometimes subtle ways, why I think actually spiritual genius is the best kind of genius because it allows itself to be most giving. It was not a surprise to me when Husker Du split off and when one of my favorite bands of the 80s came undone. Grant Hart, the drummer, the songwriter, sometimes singer. Well, if you saw Spinal Tap, remember Spinal Tap? The joke in Spinal Tap is that drummers are always offing themselves through their excesses. Grant Hart struggled with addictions that were famous even for a drummer. Bob Mould had a different journey to share, more painful, less self-inflicted. The 80s world of punk which was for me my first musical, real home, the first place I felt I belonged, was also unfortunately a deeply homophobic place. And Bob Mould lived through that world as one of its leaders, as a closeted young gay man who had to hide his heart. The friction between these two men, both very gifted and creative, eventually reached a boiling point. And so they released their last album in 1987. And their last song on that album, the last song they ever recorded together, was where I first heard Thanksgiving for a relationship that was ending and coming to a close. Now, at first, the song sounds very much like a punk anger kind of venting. I can be fine. I can be free. I can be beautiful without you torturing me. They wanted to get away from each other at this point in the relationship. They had traveled as far as they could. 
and then them singing back and forth to each other. And actually, the only punk song that I have never known that's actually gotten close to what Springsteen was trying to do on Born the U.S. Not excuse me, Born to Run with that great wall of sound thing that he did. They're singing back and forth, Bob Mould and Grant Hart to each other. Walk away, <laughs> back and forth to each other. Walk away. Get away from me. And so it seems as if this will be their final angry kiss-off to each other, that their relationship has lasted only as long as it could. But then it shifts. And the last three minutes, against this amazing full wall of sound, they sing back and forth to each other the title of the song, You Can Live at Home Now. Release. I release you. Our relationship has traveled as far as it could Our creative partnership is at the end. That's what I hear in this song. But they grant each other their release. And the point of that last word in that song title is so clear, so important. You can live at home now. Not then, not in the past, but now. Because when we can experience with our broken relationships, the ones that had to end because they had traveled as far as they possibly humanly could, and it was a good thing that they did end. When we can experience this kind of forgiveness that is really a way of thanksgiving, a release, we will know what present tense living, the is of being alive, is all about. See, when we're stuck up, stuck in, old resentments, forgivenesses, places where we can't release, can't let go, it means that we're living in the past. Or maybe we're waiting for some future fantasy day when the person will tell us, of course, they were so wrong to us. You ever have these forgiveness fantasies? We've been talking about this in our uh, 12 Steps to Spiritual Growth groups this past few weeks in our small groups and our springboards. And actually, one of the readings from there was very instructive. It's by a guy named Kevin Griffin, who wrote a book called One Breath at a Time. It's about his journey into recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, and also that he is traveling a Buddhist path of spiritual growth. He talks about this kind of forgiveness that is a thanksgiving. He says forgiveness may end up freeing another person, but most of all, forgiveness ends up freeing our own hearts and liberating who we are. He says we suffer, we suffer from our lack of forgiveness, and I am the one who benefits from my forgiveness. Bamuld, Grant Hart, singing to each other, singing to each other, you can live at home now, is an experience of thanksgiving. That they got to travel the road as far as they could with each other, and yes, the road was too far to go for them to take it any further together, but they blessed each other through their knowledge of each other. I would ask you, if you're sitting here today and thinking about one of those kinds of relationships that at one point was very deeply fruitful for you, but broke down, and maybe it was intended to break down, that it wouldn't carry you all the way, how is it that you could think back and make that into a thanksgiving? Make that into a thanksgiving so that you are granting the other person their release, and even more importantly, releasing yourself to live right here and right now. Getting that distance on the past will also help us in the presence in a form of thanksgiving that's about right here and right now with those who are with us still traveling this journey. So for some reason this past Friday, quote-unquote Black Friday as they call it in the retail business, I chose to go out driving about 5 o'clock in the afternoon right near a major mall. I did not get very far. And actually, I was headed towards the mall, and so I was completely stopped dead in my tracks. And the traffic coming the other way was actually freely moving somewhat, 
And as it, as it started to pick up speed, I, see, I could see a guy driving in, a, in an SUV and then sort of tailgating the car right in front of them. And the person the tail, uh, who was being tailgated, perhaps to get revenge, God only knows, um, turned off really quickly from that road without putting their blinker on. And I could see the eyes and the face of the guy in the car in back of them just <clears throat> set into a scowl. Not that I have ever worn that mask before when I have been tailgating and the person in front of me doesn't operate their blinker correctly either. Um, yeah. Nothing's ever happened to me. Teresa, don't laugh. <laughs> the truth of this experience, you recognize, is that you know, we don't leave enough distance and it's really, uh, it's really probably probable that we'll end up getting aggrieved through our own fault, even if another person does something wrong. But just as distance is necessary for safety... Distance is absolutely necessary in our truest, deepest, most intimate relationships in our offering thanksgiving for our spouses and for our families. Where there is true intimacy, there must be distance simultaneously, a being apart and a being together, and that is a paradox. But as with all true spiritual paradox, we can do both simultaneously without cutting off the ends of either. This is how Rainer Maria Rilke put it, the great poet, Sometimes I read this during uh, wedding services. He wrote that love consists in this, two solitudes that protect and touch and greet each other. He says, if you can love the distance between the two of you, it makes it possible for then the two of you to see each other as fully whole against the sky. The distance and the closeness. It is so easy, I know it's easy in my life, for those who are closest and dearest to me, my spouse, my family, to sometimes just be an assumed part of what's there. It is easy sometimes to take our closest for granted. I suffer from, physically, myopia. I can see this. I can only see someone's wearing pink in the front row, and I think it's Sharon. Yes. I, but, you know, there, there's moral and spiritual myopia, too. You know, where we can't see what has the distance and we need to get a little bit of distance from those people we are closest to to really understand that they're not assumed. They're not obvious that their presence and role in our lives is so precious and so amazing that sometimes we really do need to get that distance. So it's not just staring us in the face and we can get that wider perspective and truly give thanks for the people closest to our own hearts. I love that the Hebrew term for gratitude is not something we have necessarily it's something we do the hebrew term for gratitude is hikarat hatov and it literally means recognizing the good that's what gratitude is about is about giving ourselves enough distance that we can recognize the good so that sometimes in this life when we do tailgate each other not just to keep us out of accidents but also to get some distance so we can recall how precious our loved ones are to each other. And we would remember, as I asked you to do at the start of the service, to give thanks and not just to take them for granted. My third form of thanksgiving today, I think of a professor of mine named Ann Bedford Ulanoff, who wrote about prayer, meditation, certain contemplative practices, maybe you've heard me use this phrase before, as what she called good-for-nothing experiences. Experiences that will not necessarily make us any brighter, not necessarily earn us any more money, not necessarily help us progress in a way that we have identified we want to progress through this life. But she called good-for-nothing experiences 
absolutely essential, even if they're not necessary in the way that we normally think of things being necessary. Thanksgiving for our friends. Those perhaps not in our most intimate circle of family or spouse, but our friends who help to create our souls, our spirits over time. One of the quotes we were working with this past month in our 30 Days of Gratitude is from Marcel Proust, who called his friends the charming gardeners of his soul, without whom he would not be cultivated as he has grown. There's a great truth in recognizing that Thanksgiving for our friends is so incredibly important. I only recognized this as I was starting to emerge into my 30s, just as I now prepare in the next few months to leave my 30s, that I was so focused on progress and getting the things done that I wanted to get done. It's really easy for adults for us to leave our friendships almost like childish things in the past. But when we do that, we leave our spirits also entombed back there with maybe keepsakes like Stuffed animals or childhood toys we no longer play with. When we can recognize how necessary our friends really are, we offer them thanks. And we also see the truth of whether people stay, for example, in spiritual community for the long haul. You know, why people come into a religious community at first is very often, you know, they like the minister, they like the music, they like the identity of the community. But the single biggest indicator as to whether you stay or other folks stay in Wellsprings or any other religious community Christian rights or religious liberal, the single biggest indicator that has been studied is this. Friends. Do you have friends here? Do you have people who are not your kin? Not folks who you are, not a person you are married to, but friends. Unnecessary as the world might think it is necessary for you to become or to get something, but friendship in the deepest level of thanksgiving because they are essential, but not necessary. Good-for-nothing people are the essence of grace. And good friends in my life are very much the face of grace for me. The final Thanksgiving that I offer this morning is the most difficult one. It is the most difficult one that any of us will ever learn. It is the most difficult one because it's the one where our love is the deepest, but that love is threatened the most. Not relationships that ended because of fallibility or failure, but simply because of our fragility. Because we are creatures who are born, who are simultaneously fated to die. The final thanksgiving, in the truest sense, is for our own beloved departed. 17 years ago, what time is it? 17 years ago, at just about this time, I was standing in the uh, Knesseth Israel graveyard in the Lehigh Valley in, outside of Allentown. And I was staring down, holding a flower in one hand and a clump of dirt in the other, about to place both on the casket that held my mother's body. She was 47 years old when she died, just three days before, on Thanksgiving Day. And I never remember the actual date that she died. Um, it's just always Thanksgiving Day. And three days later was her funeral. And she didn't have to die. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. But she didn't, 
have to die. It wasn't a death that, um, well, I'll put it this way. It's a death that could have been um, could have been foreseen with a little more care on her part and a lot more care on the doctor's part. But it was as it was. And it's, you know, it's always surreal for all of us whenever we stand at that place of offering the final goodbye in community to the people that we love the most. But one thought really came to me as I was standing down there at, at, at this at this gravesite with the flower in one hand and the, the clump of earth in the other, not to say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that my mother had really equipped me for this moment many years before, even if this was not at all very much the way that she anticipated that her life would end. I'm going to ask you to share, share this with someone right now, uh, or, or use it in your own hands, you know, if you're sort of germaphobic, it's all right. Uh, Clasp someone else's hand, uh, you know, or put your two hands together. My mom had equipped me for this moment, this moment of saying goodbye. With a little trick she had taught me as a kid. Squeeze one hand. I love you. Squeeze back four times. I love you. Two. I love you. I love you too. See, what my mom taught me is what all loving parents try and teach their kids, which is that no holding, at least in this human form, is forever. And we need to learn to love and to let go all throughout our life. Now, I loved doing this as a kid, and also I got to tell you when I was an adolescent and wanted to stop, you know, I became embarrassed to tell my parents I would, you know, love them out loud in front of my friends, you know, stupid things I look back on and say, why the hell was I built that way back then? But, you know, it was what it was. But little quiet moments where I could give her hand a squeeze, and she'd squeeze my hand as back, and we'd know that language that would pass between us. Of course, I have... At this time of the year, many, many happy memories about my mom and her life. And one, of course, devastatingly sad memory. But what gratitude has taught me, the gratitude beyond any grasping, is this. Which is the fact that the sad memory was the last memory does not overshadow all the happy memories that came before it. Because even if her death was untimely... And who of us does not want more time with those who we love and hold in our hearts? All loving lives die untimely deaths. But once we accept this, we can be grateful and know that at some point we have to stop holding. That's just the nature of life. So the deepest grief that I have known began on Thanksgiving Day. But the deepest expression of a complete grief for all of us ends in thanksgiving every day. That all of us in the deepest level are called to love without ownership. Called to love knowing that we have to give it back. And we have to give them back. I can't believe I'm going to quote this because I swore I never would in a message, but it just works, so forgive me. It's like Jack and Rose at the end of Titanic. (laughs) Like Leo and Kate. Rose, 
on whatever that was, I don't know, an old bench from a piano or an old door or something like that. And, you know, I know he had to die tragically because that's just what good-looking young men do in these kinds of movies. But she could have made room for him on that thing, couldn't she have, you know? <laughs> Come on, Kate. Move over. What she says, and I said to her at first by him, never let go, Rose. Never let go. But then she has to. Thanksgiving. She releases him. And he's gone. But he's not. Because at the moment she releases with her hands, she also recognizes there is not grasping but a holding in her heart. I won't let you go, she said. And that's the balance all of us have to learn. And so, yes, even though the ending of Titanic was far too syrupy for me, but when I saw all the crying teenagers around me when I watched it in the theater back in 1997, and not all the crying teenagers were crying girls for Leo. He's so cute. How could he die? No, but I recognized that, that, that those tears were sort of something deeper. Maybe it was syrupy. But on the deepest level, gratitude is the sweetest virtue. Gratitude is the sweetest virtue because it allows us to taste of those who we love even after they have left this life. It allows us to taste of a love deeper than the bitterness of the pain of loss or fallibility or any of the ways that our relationships come to a close. When we learn that what we release from our hold, we can still hold in our hearts. This is what Mary Oliver was talking about. This is the healthiest form of mourning, when we can learn the limits of our grasping and the paradox that offering thanks is the only way that we get to keep who and what is most important to us in our lives. Holding in the heart is very different and also more difficult than holding in the hand, but ultimately it is what builds our lives up. Because for a time we are blessed with being able to hold in the hand and in the heart simultaneously while our loved ones are here. But after they've gone, one final, I love you. I love you too. And then our hands are unjoined. But our hearts are not. And as the song says, Sorry again, the heart goes on. But no joking, what the poet Philip Larkin wrote is true. That at our end, what will remain of us, what will remain of all of us, is love. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Gracious source, thanksgiving, God, may we live in this way. May we know a life beyond grasping and enter into a heartful and a life full of thankfulness. May we start this day with that balance of the holding on and the letting go, of the holding in our hands and holding with our hands and the cultivation of the holding in our hearts. 
May we learn to love without ownership. To love without demand or claim that somehow this is ours and our loved ones are ours. They are not. They are life itself. May we all, may we all live grateful lives. In this, may our lives be blessed. In this, may our lives be happy in a way that no loss can take away. And in this, may our lives be blessed this day and for all days. Amen.